Hello, everyone. Welcome along to the Event Industry News Podcast with me, James Dixon, wishing you all a very good morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever or wherever you tune into today's podcast from. Um, and we're going to be talking, I suppose, uh, I dare say they use the word recruitment. That might be a bit too bit too fluffy. We've been talking about employment, recruitment, um, and jobs within the events industry on recent episodes of the podcast for, for regular listeners and followers. And uh, I suspect that's, that's going to be stuff that we will inevitably touch on at, at certain points of today's podcast. All will become clear, as always, as we welcome our guest and we welcome our topic. 30% of workers are quiet quitting their roles. Why is this bad for your business and what can you do about it? And more importantly, to kick things off, what is quiet quitting? We welcome our guest today, Mr. Stephen Pickett. Stephen is the Chief Strategy Officer at Live Group and joins us from his base in London today. Stephen, welcome to the Event Industry News Podcast. Thank you, James. I appreciate the invitation. Kind of you. Not a problem at all. Um, quiet quitting. I, I looked at I thought, Ooh. wow, there, there's plenty to talk about there because it's not a term that I've come across, but I kind of thought, hmm, okay, I get it. Just in those two words, I suspect I know what it may be, but let's kick off with that question. What is quiet quitting? Sure. There's actually a, a little bit of um, debate that's going on right now about what quiet quitting actually is. Initial intent was to imply people that are doing the bare minimum for their job. Uh, I don't mean they're trying to go above and beyond and they're just working nine to five. They're literally working potentially from home or from outside their main office. And they're doing as little as they possibly can to get by. There's also the other thought that quiet quitting is people just doing what the company is actually paying them to do and they're not going above and beyond. Mm -hmm. In this particular case, um, the, the study was referring to the fact that people are not even really doing more than the bare minimum of showing up, answering emails briefly, attending meetings only if they have to, um, just doing enough to get by. And basically what it's referring to, to a certain extent, and the way that we're interpreting it, is that engagement in organizations is decreasing. And is that laziness in the workforce or is that a lack of inspiration from the employer? We're seeing that it's mostly a lack of inspiration. Um, people are not wanting to go and do the full amount of the job because they're not feeling engaged with their organization. Mm. They're just not connected to the organization from a lack of communication, a lack of cohesion with what the message and the um, intent of the organization is. Mm. They're not feeling uh, rewarded. They're not feeling that they're getting incentive properly, recognition. They're not feeling for those that have joined organizations during the pandemic and even before onboarding is not done properly. So they're just not feeling connected to the organization. And so slowly but surely, there are people that are then deciding to do less and less at their job. And effectively, this is where the quiet quitting comes from, because they may still be employed, but effectively, they may be contributing to the company no more so than somebody who doesn't work for the company at all. Correct. And you have software out there where people can see when you're actually moving your mouse. But then there's software out there now that will automatically move your mouse for you so that you don't actually have to do it. So <laughs> there's always a hack. There is always a hack for it, James. Absolutely. There is always a hack. I, I wonder, Stephen, just now that you've you've mm. explained and put into context what, what we're facing and what we're dealing with here, whether or not there, there is a, a correlation at all to something that I, I read about probably go back four years now, maybe four or five years, which is that I, I can think personally of four people off the top of my head who I know very, very well, 
who have retired having only worked one or two jobs in their life. Mm. And I read sort of four or five years ago that, you know, the generation that is now coming through university, you know, we've just finished that period of time where A-level and GCSE results in this country have, yep. have come out. So all the new college semesters and terms are starting. That yeah, millennials, Gen Z, whatever you want to call them, coming through employment now will likely have, I think, something like eight, nine, ten different jobs in their career cycle, maybe even more. I know people, you know, in their early 20s who've started jobs, they work their 18 months, two years, yeah. and they move on to something else. And I say, well, what went wrong? Well, nothing. I just I moved on somewhere else. Is there a correlation between that attitude and what we're seeing in career pathways for young people now and some of this quiet quitting where they know they're going to move on to another job in two years? So, you know, I'm just going to go through the motions. Absolutely. Part of it has to do with how engaged, as I mentioned before, people are to the organization. And that becomes a lot more difficult to do if you're not proactive in um, making sure that in a hybrid work environment, you are connected to your employees. But people are getting away and saying, OK, you know what? I've been there. I've done that. There isn't an educational program to help me learn more and advance within the organization. There isn't the opportunity for recognition for doing a great job. There used to be, you know, three, four years ago, if you had an organization, you did really well, you could quickly gather everybody together. Hey, let's celebrate Sally or Bob in terms of something that they've accomplished. Let's have a quick lunch out. Let's stay for drinks. Let's... So that recognition starts to dissipate and that ability for people to also see where their career path can take them, that training, that continuous development, people aren't just going to be getting that the same way in a hybrid work environment unless an organization really invests the time and resources to do that. So even more so with that new generation, as you talk about, people are more inclined to look elsewhere. It's always greener on the other side. Yeah. And we're seeing that people are actually doing that. In statistics, Gallup has done a couple of polls where they say that 74% of employees are actively looking for jobs within six months of starting a new job. Wow. I mean, that, that, that that's a huge percentage of the workforce. And, 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 and a couple of things that I've scribbled down here from an investment point of view is that I wonder how many companies have, have tried to go down the route of investing in their people, but seeing people leave or go through the motions of their job and maybe leave mm. after 18 months, two years, whatever it may be, it, it, it's that chicken and egg situation. Maybe they thought, well, we've tried investing money, but we've ended up losing money because we lose these people after two years. Then we have to go through the entire process of, again, of Correct. team building events, of training, of, of acquisition, you know, so well, we'll just not bother investing how we used to in the, in the staff. Right. And then, of course, then you end up with staff who are disillusioned because they don't see that there's an investment pathway. That there's, Correct. And then your recruitment. A, yeah. Recruitment costs go up. Yeah. Self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, so, uh, it, it does. It becomes a circle. One of the clients that we work for, um, we do all their intake of their students every year. We just actually completed it last week. And right. they have anywhere from 1,000 to 1,500 students that they onboard every year. So as part of their induction, we'll do the pre-work, we'll, we'll introduce them uh, to Hive, which is our platform to make sure that people are then engaged in the message before the actual three days of training. But then what we do is we track them after. So how engaged, continue to give them and deliver messages to them so that they're understanding, make that a two-way conversation and dialogue. But now we're tracking them continuously through. So not just after year one, and then we don't 
see them again. Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. let's track them after six months. Let's track them after 12. And then when you see before they end up actually finishing what they're going to be working at the uh, organization for that three year span, how many have stayed and how many have left. And once we've um, done that so far, what we're seeing is after the end of the first year, so they're entering the second, if you have a message that is consistent and you're checking in with them more frequently, the number of people that are actually then leaving organizations is decreasing. So mm -hmm. ergo, now you're paying for the services and you're making sure that you're not losing a lot of that information on a brain drain where people are leaving and you're not wasting that money. Mm. If I might, may digress just for a second. Sure. Um, and you reference there what you've just done with this onboarding process, new mm. intakes, et cetera, et cetera. For people who maybe not be familiar with Live Group, I think it's important at this point, maybe just pause and say, what, explain what it is that you do as an organization so that people can then go back to referencing the point you just made about sure. onboarding these new students. Sure, that's fair. I appreciate that, James. So uh, we do events, uh, but what we do is we really make sure that we focus on the audience. Mm -hmm. We ensure that our client and the message that they're looking to deliver lands properly and effectively on the audience in which they're going to be speaking to. Mm -hmm. So we focus a lot more on content, the delivery of the content, and then also the learning styles that everybody brings to the table. Mm. So in understanding how you're going to have a cohort that joins and that in that group, you're going to have, you know, if you think back to when you were, you know, in, in elementary school, or as a Canadian, we called it elementary school. Yeah, yeah, as opposed yeah. to yeah. Primary one, two, school for us. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you would have the joker. Right. And then you have the dreamer looking out the window, trying to see what they want to do. Then you're going to have the person that's really studious. Everybody learns differently. And yeah. when you turn 25 or 20 and you enter the workforce, that doesn't change. I'm still the same person, how I like to learn. It's probably evolved, hopefully, a little bit. But what we then do is we make sure that we understand the different learning styles and then we're going to tailor the content accordingly. Mm. And so as an events organization, we still run your event, but it's the work we do pre and post to extend the life of that content and also make sure it lands the way that you want it to. So we really focus on the audience rather than just on, you know, let's make sure it's glitz and glamour type of event. Yeah. And that, uh, you, you make an interesting point there. Um, may, maybe not knowingly, but this mm. idea that in education, we still work in a very linear format with education mm. where, mm -hmm. you know, all children of a certain age are expected to learn to that standard. And in that way, you know, boom, 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 you progress through your your, your year groups, um, you know, through your classes, through your grades, you know, uh, 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 I think to maybe use the, the elementary school sort of terminology, you know, you get yeah. grade one, grade two. Uh, but the, the point is, is then that we, we are still expected, I suppose, in some respects to learn and, and develop our careers in a similar sort of linear fashion yeah. when we enter the workplace uh, and, and maybe not enough employees, particularly with large numbers of employees understand that their employees are going to develop and learn at different rates in different right. ways yeah. so one way of teaching one person how to do one particular task maybe won't resonate with somebody else they may need a completely different way of doing it correct correct and if you have people that are more hands-on they're going to be more tactile in how they want to learn right if you just think of it as um for me hockey uh, for others might be football uh, how are you going to want to consume your game mm. match is that going to be on an iPhone? Is that going to be in a pub? Is that going to be in your living room? Is that going to be in your laptop? Everybody's going to watch the same match, but it's going to be in different ways that you're going to be watching. Same is with education. The same is with the content delivery. You can have the same content delivered, but it's not going to be straight to say you go from point A to point B. Sometimes you need to deviate to get to your end point 
and make sure that the content is being understood the way that you want it to so people can actually learn. But unfortunately, you know, I have I have three kids, not unfortunately, but I have three kids and, and they're through um, <laughs> most of their schooling. Yeah. And they understand how they learn. Right. So it's easier for them. But I've seen how if you just go straight down that one path. And so, I mean, to, to just bring it back to the topic, well, how engaged are you going to be if, you know, there's some recognition program at work and all it is is an email sent out that says, you know what? Thank you, Sarah. You did a great job here. Here's an email gift card for 10 pounds at Amazon. Well, you know what? Maybe she needs a gas card and a petrol card because she's, you know, struggling to be able to get petrol because of the energy crisis. Yeah. So it's, it's understanding what motivates your team and communicating them. You're going to get them more engaged when you do that. Yeah, I, I I agree, and 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 I'm I'm reminded of a conversation that I had recently with with somebody regarding recruitment. That it is, and this was actually at a live event. I was doing the the AV and production at a conference, and they had a a recruitment specialist, not from the events industry, actually from from the care home sector of all things. You know, the managers of of of, of care homes for for the elderly. Um, and and they were talking in their industry at the moment. It it is a the advantage is to the employee at the moment. Yeah. You know, there yeah. are more jobs available than there are people to fill those. And so employers are having to be told and encouraged. And in some cases, you know, really sort of beaten around the head with a stick to say, you know, you, you cannot approach the, this subject in the manner that you've done it for years and years. You really do have to break away from some of your traditional thinking when it comes to recruitment. And that in turn, flows into the, the 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 training and the engagement that you offer those employees once they're on board with your business. Um, you know, it brings us full circle back to this 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 quiet quitting. You know, how many people are quite happy with the salary that they're receiving and just think, well, you know, I can check a few emails, tick a few boxes, submit yeah. the report at the end of the week, yeah. and I still got my paycheck and I can go off and and do what I want at the weekends and in the evenings. Yeah. Um, that there is very little inspiration to do that. And if we bring that into the events industry, which is where we both work, mm -hmm. that having people who are engaged and who want to go the extra mile is mission critical. Anybody who's ever been involved in an event knows that people who work in events don't just have one job. You know, they're going to be asked to do multiple different things. And if you've got people who are not engaged and who are not willing to go that extra mile in the events industry, you're going to have events ultimately that are really going to start falling over. Absolutely. And uh, so uh, Gallup came out with a poll a couple of years ago and they said that um, this engagement at work leads to about 70 billion pounds a year in lost productivity. So it, it, if you have a workforce that's not engaged and you have them some that are taking it to a bit more of an extreme and you're quietly quitting and doing less than, you know, the bare minimum, if you will. And then you get to an industry like ours where we're in events and we're trying to communicate with people and we're trying to usually make people happy and have some of the glitz and glamour. And then you're not connecting with your audience properly, let, let alone maybe not even your own workforce. Well, what kind of event are you going to be putting on? What kind of message are you going to be delivering? Is that message going to be landing effectively? And are you going to be getting the results that you want to get at the end of it if you're not doing it properly? Mm. So it, I mean, it's okay. Why are the event industry news people talking about quiet quitting and how does it, it really does stream from our own industry in terms of making sure our own teams are engaged, but at the same point in time, making sure our clients are having that conversation with their team members to make sure that they're feeling engaged and that communication and having events that are hybrid when you can't necessarily get everybody together. And with those different learning styles we talked about where maybe not everybody's comfortable to get together. 
you know, mm. with COVID, it used to be where, you know, people would say they're going to go to work and show up regardless. Well, now people are a lot more comfortable to say, I'm not able to because I have childcare, or yeah. I'm not able to because I have to look after my parents because they're elderly, or I have mental health issues and I don't feel confident going into the office today because I'm still concerned about COVID, or I just, I struggle with depression as not because of COVID, yeah. because I struggle with depression. Yeah. I still want to work, so I need a hybrid event. So it's it's wrapping all of that engagement and being um, effective for you, that message that really becomes more important as you un, uh, unwrap, how do I need to deliver my message and what does that message need to be to keep people engaged in my organization and within my own message? It's, it's so much more difficult now, you know, it, 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 and there is always a counter argument and, and, and a, you know, a difference of opinion. And, you know, you talk to some people and they say, well, working from home is the best thing to ever happen for my business because people are then afforded the flexibility to drop the kids at school, mm. start work at 930, you know, break off for an hour to pick them up from school. But then they might work until eight o'clock at night. They might be much more productive, you know, that there is there is always a sort of a, a, an opinion and, and, a, and an argument one way or the other in this scenario that we've not been forced into, but found ourselves into yeah. through circumstance, particularly in the, you know, in the last two and a half years. Sure. Um, I suppose that, that just to sort of throw the devil's advocate card on the table for a second is that if I... Uh, I'm employed by a company and I'm given a contract and a job description. That's what you, we intend, you know, we expect you to deliver from your role. If I'm ticking those boxes and I get called into the boss's office to say, well, you're not really going above and beyond. We're a bit surprised. Provided that person is ticking the boxes and fulfilling their job requirement, mm -hmm. you know, uh, 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 really can, can employers have any sort of, um argument against that at all you know uh, if, if somebody called me into the office and said well you're not going above and beyond well pay me more then i'm fulfilling my job you know uh, uh, how much how much advantage do the employees have at the moment over that sort of argument should an employer question them about it i think they have a very strong argument to support um i'm not advocating that people have to go above and beyond to be able to maintain their job or even actually seek promotion and and be recognized for that but in that particular case that you're saying if somebody is doing their job and they're doing it effectively more power to them i think then you need to look at your managers and leaders and saying okay well why are they questioning an employee that is actually doing their job effectively bringing all their cards to the table doing what i ask them to do I mean, at Live Group, we, we allow our teams to work flexibly. So, you know, if you're working at seven in the morning or seven at night, that's fine. As long as you're getting your work done and the projects are being done in the manner and the, and the level that we'd like them be, to be done at and that they expect of themselves. But if you have people that are regressing and doing less than the nine to five tasks that they need to do, then I think that that's where it poses a lot more of a challenge for an organization. Yeah. But even still, if somebody's working from home and they're doing their nine to five, I think as organizations, we still have to make sure that we're recognizing our employees effectively and our team members, mm -hmm. because there's as much as there's a quiet quitting. I mentioned earlier about the brain drain. So if somebody yeah. leaves, what about the new recruits that are coming in? How are they learning their job if you can't have everybody available all the time? I mean, these days you see people and they block out their calendar five minutes for a coffee and 30 minutes for email in the morning and 30 minutes. Well, there's no free time anymore. Whereas before I used to be able to just go, you know, pop by Surrender's desk and say to him, hey, can we chat for five minutes? I need to work through this challenge. Sure. And yeah. that's where having that hybrid work environment can be a struggle to have somebody from home all the time. I'm not saying it's amount of effort, 
but it's up to us as employers to figure out how do we engage with our team members so they're not feeling that disconnect and that we're still getting information from them that they can pass on to other parts of the organization and that doesn't get lost. Mm. And, and maybe this comes back around to, to business leaders really understanding and identifying and promoting the inspirational aspects of their business and what they do as a business. Mm -hmm. um, you, you know, I, I, I look at something like um, the, 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 the food industry, the food service industry, the restaurant industry, the high end of the restaurant industry. And you look at, you know, your Gordon Ramsay's and your uh, yeah. Ramon Blanc's and, you know, the big Michelin star chefs, they will all talk about their younger days where they were at the restaurant at seven o'clock in the morning, yeah. chopping vegetables, you know, taking deliveries in, working 14, 15, 16 hour shifts, you know, putting the hours in. Why? Because they were inspired to do so because that's really what they wanted right. to do, you know. And I suppose in some respects, when, when we're talking about this whole subject, we're talking about businesses really finding what is inspiring about their business and selling that to their employees. Because if your employees are inspired about it, you know, and they're inspired to, to be better in themselves and to achieve something because there is a, a goal an end game, so to speak, to achieve a certain level, then, you know, uh, maybe not enough businesses have identified what can really inspire their employees. And that's really what they need to do in the first instance. They do. And they spend how much money on making sure that they're inspiring their, their clients and that mm -hmm. their message and their brand is getting out there. But then the people that drive that brand and inspire that inspiration, if you will, in their clients yeah. are then not do, being recognized and inspired themselves from their own company. Yeah. So it, that's where that um, making sure that you're engaging with your team, making sure that you're pro providing proper onboarding. What's your reward and recognition program look like? How do you have one-on-ones with your employees if they're hybrid? Are they in person? Are they online? How do you build that rapport with somebody when it's okay, mm. I'm going to have a 10-minute meeting with you every Monday at 9 a.m. to see how your weekend was? Well, that's mm. going to feel really relaxed and conversational. <laughs> like it's going to yeah. you know, kind of build a relationship and rapport with somebody and help to inspire them. Different people have different things that motivate them. Some people yeah. are going to have young kids and are motivated by more time off. Some people are going to be motivated by money. Some people are going to be trips, recognition, title, until you actually start to understand your individual team members and what's going to motivate them and inspire them. A blanket communication and a blanket onboarding that isn't tailored to the audience specific to, to the ones that are coming is going to fall flat long term. And you're going to start to see people leave, which you know, people are debating whether we're going through the great resignation right now. But to your point earlier, that's where I think employees have a, a really good opportunity right now to say, you know what, we're not happy with the way our internal communications are going mm. right now. Uh, and it needs to change. And we need to understand what is going on in our organizations. And we need to feel inspired by it so we can inspire our clients. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing that really uh, uh, has got me thinking, uh, or the, the other sort of area I'm thinking about is, is the team, the word team. And the idea of feeling part of a team and connected with like-minded people and online dating. We have yeah. algorithms now where you can set up a profile, put your likes, your dislikes, the interests, the, the food that you like, the music that you like, the, the arts that you like, the places that you like going to. And we've got these sophisticated dating apps now 
that can match people with similar interests and they have sure. great success at doing so now yeah. you know the, I, I, I know several people who've met their you know their, their life partner and their spouse on online dating similarly in the events industry we have these amazing event platforms now that can match people's business interests and requirements what are you selling what are you buying oh great you guys should meet together you know why, why are employers maybe not deploying some of this technology that's already there so that when they bring on two or three or even one new person to their team, maybe that person is given an, a, an idea of what their other team members you know, likes and dislikes there are. Is there common ground between the guy that sat on the opposite side of the office or at the other end of the country? You know, they, they will probably have WhatsApp groups for business or Slack channels mm -hmm. for business. You know, do companies have social channels now where mm -hmm. they can talk about stuff that's not work related but with their work colleagues to find that common ground i think all of these sort of things need to be considered in terms of a team building going back to the sort of the traditional idea of team building yeah because traditionally it's like hey let's go to the pub it's thursday night let's have a couple of drinks and let's learn about more about you and your family and, exactly. and which is great but it's harder to do that when people have different commitments now and are you know very reasonable in understanding you know i don't want to spend as much time commuting anymore Absolutely. But that sense of how you build a team, it used to be around something. You had the same manager, you're working on the same project, you had the same client focus. It was something there. It's still there in the organizations, but it's harder to build that rapport when it's not face to face. It's harder to build that rapport when an organization may not support ways to do it, as you mentioned, whether it's yeah. team chats or different ways that you can build that or doing on-site client visits. There's several ways that you can do it, but it needs to be very um, planned out and methodical in the way that organizations you know, roll those types of things out because you can't just assume that the four people that are working on the same project are going to be talking. And that's where the collaboration comes in. That's where, you know, ineffectiveness of people that aren't engaged, you know, when I reference the 70 billion pounds, that's part of where people aren't feeling engaged to the brand and they're feeling disconnected. And that's part of the team. You know, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, it used to be a day when I could just go walk over to somebody's desk and say to them, hey, you know what, can you assist me on this? And I can build rapport and learn, hey, yeah. there's a picture on their desk of XYZ and there you go. Now you know that they have a dog. But <laughs> if you don't have that app that you talked about, are you going to say, hey, I know I'm new to the company. Do you have a dog? Nope. Cat? Nope. Hate animals? Do this? Okay. What, what's our common ground we can talk about other than the fact that we used to do the same job or we do the same job? Yeah, it's it's a crazy one, isn't it? Because we live in such a different world now when it comes to you know our day-to-day day-to-day -day work you know uh, I, you know I, I rewind the clock 15 years and uh, well even less than that now probably thir 13 years and I was very much you know it was day-to-day -day. it was into the office at nine o'clock yeah. finished at five o'clock I, I worked in in advertising uh, and advertising sales so you'd be on the road maybe some days meeting clients and 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 it was when I think about how far we've come and how far how much things have changed in that period of time mm. it is phenomenal you know it used to be suit tie smart shoes you know business bags briefcases paper in there and and you know even in even in the most sort of blue chip and 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 white collar of industries now if you walk through the city of london where you are you know you you how often do you see people walking to work in a suit and tie now even little things like that you know the way that we work the way that we approach yeah. work is so, is so different nowadays and and yet for many businesses they're still operating in a manner that was maybe relevant and suitable 20 years ago that hasn't kept up with the change in people's working practices that we see today very much so now the suit and tie i love wearing a suit and tie i always have loved yeah, wearing a suit yeah, and tie yeah. i'm that anomaly 
but don't get me wrong. I also, you know, like going to the office, like it was, you know, super hot in August and wear a pair of shorts and a shirt. I'm, I'm all for that. I'm just, I don't know. I just want to make it feel like I'm a movie star, yeah. but <laughs> you're absolutely right. It's evolved. And I don't think business is caught up with ways, you know, to catch up to that evolution. And when you look at, you know, where we were two and a half years ago to having to be here now, I think we would have got here, but we were just sped up really quickly and trying to figure out how can we still have that camaraderie? How can we still understand what our work environment needs to be? I mean, it used to be that everybody used to have an office and then it was cubicles, then it was open space and then it was hotel desks. And then it became, no, now you have to have dividers with COVID if you're going back. Now it's going back, well, do we need offices? And well, we don't need an office and how much real estate do we actually need? Because, well, people are working from home now, but then you find people love to work from home, but they don't necessarily want to work in their home anymore. They want to work from other locations. So yeah. am I going to work, you know, go up to Manchester and work there because I have some family there kind of thing. There are different <laughs> opportunities for people to understand what that workforce needs to do. And as much as people want to say it's going to be driven by, are you getting your work done in that time frame? Short term that works, but there's too much information, too much data that is being lost by people doing that, that we have to figure out a way to capture that. And still, at the same time, recognize people want to work in a different way than they did five years ago. Mm. I, I remember walking into uh, an office probably six, maybe seven years ago uh, mm. when we started this podcast. Back then, um, it was a, a, it conceived as a, a you know an in-person thing. We would pack up you know a, a suitcase with some microphones, some stands, and a mixing desk, and a, a digital mm. recorder, and a camera, and we would go and set up usually in a conference room of, a, of an event company or a supplier somewhere. We would get guests in, and we would record it, you know, as if we were in a radio studio, um, yeah. which was great, you know. And as things have evolved, this has become the way that we do it now. We do it via digital platforms. Um, yeah. But going back to, to to walking into one of those offices, I remember walking in and seeing probably a dozen or so people. Young people all sat at, at, at the computers, you know, working away, and every single one of them had a pair of headphones on. Yeah. They were all they were all locked in their own space. Yeah. They they they'd made the commute into central London, yeah. you know, probably an hour or so on public transport, give, given the location, and they'd all commuted in that morning. They'd all come in, set up, and then lock themselves away back in their own world, and. You know, that, that is the perfect scenario of identifying, well, what's the need for the office space then? You know, they could be sat on that computer doing work in their own little world yeah. at home without the commute, without the expense of doing that. Um, but what are we losing and what are we gaining by doing that? And, and you know, are there ways, if that's how people work, if they sit with their headphones, you know, straight away I've thought, you know, how many companies have a, uh, a company radio station or a company playlist and some headphones yeah. where if people want to listen to music, everyone's listening to the same music at the same time so that a tune comes on that you like and you look at the guy at the desk yeah. over the, over the way from you go oh yeah this is a, this is a good one um everyone's in their own sort of world aren't they now uh, and i just wonder if you if you sat down with a big sheet of paper i bet you and i could probably just come up with loads of silly crazy ideas that actually there could be some mileage in you know in 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 maybe building this team ethic and building that sort of bond in a workplace Absolutely. And there, there's different ways to do it. So one way that we've uh, entertained being able to do it is, you know, I work in London, we have different people that work around different areas of the UK is going to visit them in their location and have a group of people go visit, whether it's at their home, if they're comfortable with that, or if there's a coffee shop nearby and having everybody work for the day from that different location. So you're traveling to 
Leeds. We have a group of people actually in Leeds today mm -hmm. and they're there and they're working um, with the person that actually lives in Leeds and they're working there. So they get to see a different part of the country. It's still a team that they're building out there and they're doing something a little bit different. Two weeks mm -hmm. ago, they were in Wales. So it's, it's trying to do things where people can come up with different ideas to do. I mean, I've only been in the events industry for six months. I've been in the UK for 10 months. So it's relatively new for me and how we're trying to do it in the UK. Prior mm. to that, um, I worked for a Canadian company and I was afforded the opportunity, sadly, during COVID to be able to do my job in London. So I moved here for love, living <laughs> with my wife, um, but I was working for my Canadian company. Yeah. And then people said, well, hey, can I come stay with Pickett? And if I stay with Pickett, I can still do my job and I can get <laughs> to see London. So that's for me where the idea started to come from. But it's just that idea of doing things different out of the box to use, because that's what people were doing 15 years ago is, OK, how can we do something different to build that team, that sense sure. of camaraderie, that sense of brand affinity, that the more that you have it, people are going to stay with your organization. And it, it takes work and effort. But if you communicate effectively and you have the mindset of trying to do it, there are ways to be creative to come up with stuff. Yeah. And, and you know, well, I, I'm one eye on the clock, but this, this is a fascinating conversation. I feel like it's one of those that I could probably ramble on for, for hours mm. about. But, you know, I, I know a lot of people, it almost became, it got to the point of, of being mocked, you know, yeah. like the, the Google offices where you would have, you know, uh, coffee shops and slides for people to you know slide down from one floor to the mm. next and bean bags to relax on and meditation zones and etc yeah. etc but you know i know that they were mocked but they were being done for a reason companies like mm. that don't 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 put elements like that into their workspaces unless somebody somewhere has done research on that and knows that, that that's going to bring value that's going to bring business value to what we're doing and, and i think maybe we should rewind five six years to, to to some of those sort of examples that we started to mock a little bit and actually think hmm, were they onto something there you know could we do that we might not have the might of them we might not might not have the financial clout to go and transform our office spaces but could we take inspiration from some of those ideas and actually seek to deploy them in our own in our Absol own absolutely uber um, when they, when they uh, I guess about four or five years ago, um, in Toronto at least, they had designed their office so that it was open 24 hours, seven days a week. And so people that were in development or in coding, they could work whenever they wanted to. And a lot of them preferred to work at night. And so they'd go mm. in the office and work at night. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They just wanted to work then. Didn't matter. It, just, it was getting done. So it was a different way to do it. It was engaging with and knowing who their audience was knowing how they'd like to work and then tailoring the work environment to be able to get the most out of them. They still had the headphones on, but <laughs> then at least, you know, the, when the manager is saying, okay, this is how we need to pivot or what we're currently working on. They're all there, but they're there in a time frame and a comfort level that they have. Yeah. Look, look I, I'm going to, I don't do this often on the podcast, but I'll throw it out to, to people tuning in, you know, send us in your examples, you know, what, what ideas have you got? You know, I'm sure there are enough people out there with, with great ideas in the workplace, you know, for, for, for how to deal with this yeah. quiet quitting issue that we've been dealing with today at event news blog is us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram and LinkedIn and things like that. And if you're following any of those pages and any of those feeds for, for event industry news, you know, Get, get on get on board with your ideas you know tell us you know you, you've listened to the podcast today here's an idea for how you think you know we can deal with this quiet quitting issue what have you done in your workplaces out there listeners you know what have you done to to improve you know 
team camaraderie you know i know yeah. it's an old phrase but camaraderie is a great phrase to describe you know a well-oiled team that, that that has a sense of togetherness you know and it's something that's it's a term that's used in sports an awful mm. lot to just dis, to describe a well-oiled machine of a team that, that are together and achieving a, a a common goal and the most successful sports teams certainly have that element of camaraderie and it. it should be no different in business you know the most successful businesses will have an element of camaraderie amongst their team yeah. where everybody's pulling together yeah um, and, and I, you know, I would encourage at that same point in time to say, okay, challenge your audience to say, do I know my audience? Do I know my audience that I'm delivering an event to and they're getting it the way that they should be getting it? And do I know my audience internally and mm -hmm. how my team needs to be working? Because, um, you know, the expression that I like to use is if you always do what you always did, you're always going to get what you always got. And people are leaving organizations now in record numbers. So clearly we need to change something. And maybe you're, you're on to something about how we need to build those teams up again. Mm, absolutely. We've we've been talking on the podcast today to Stephen Pickett, the Chief Strategy Officer at Live Group, about the subject of quiet quitting, about people maybe just going through the motions of their job role and, uh, you know, not necessarily going above and beyond because we've discussed this didn't we Stephen but about yeah. you know may, maybe a, a a lack of motivation or desire or inspiration from business leaders uh to encourage them to progress and and to perhaps do you know their job to the absolute best that they could possibly deliver rather than just ticking those boxes and and no doubt it's something that we need to keep our eye on because that there is yeah. a recruitment crisis you know in the events industry there are loads of roles that need fulfilling and not enough people yeah. to, to fill them because of the pandemic you know ultimately that's the driver of, of that recruitment issue in the events industry at the moment is that when events were shut during the pandemic we lost good people mm -hmm. and we need to replace those good people so this is a really good time for businesses to be thinking about how they build those team uh bonds and how they inspire their employees when they do join their business um Stephen, it's been great chatting to you today before we wrap up really important that uh we we give you the opportunity to to give a shout out for any ways in which people listening today that may want to get in contact with live group or with you personally to find out more about what you guys are up to and maybe to extend this conversation directly with you um how do they get in touch with you and live group Great. Thanks, James. I appreciate that. Very much love to continue the conversation and, and start to, to meet new people and, and understand their thoughts on it. So best way is probably my email, which is stephen.pickett at livegroup.co.uk. Or conversely, you can find me on LinkedIn at Stephen D. Pickett. Fantastic. And Stephen with a PH, everybody. Stephen with a PH, yes. Stephen with a yeah. PH. Um, thanks very much. And of course, if you want to get in touch with us, you know, I've mentioned some of the channels at Event News Blog is us on Twitter. You'll find us on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, all of the usual social media platforms, as well, of course, as eventindustrynews.com. If you are listening to the audio version of this podcast via your favorite podcast platform, go to eventindustrynews.com where you can check out the latest news, features, and special supplements on the Event Industry News website, as well, of course, as the legendary event industry news A to Z supplier directory. If you're an organizer working within the events industry and you need to find a product, a service, or a supplier, go to eventindustrynews.com and look up the A to Z supplier directory. And I've no doubt you'll be able to find what you need in there. Of course, if you're already on the website today, thank you very much for tuning in and watching the video version of this podcast. And please don't forget that you can go in the opposite direction to wherever you get your audio podcasts from. Just search for event industry news and you will find the podcast you'll be able to hit subscribe and listen to all of our episodes our thanks once again to mr stephen d pickett the chief strategy officer at live group for joining us stephen's been great to have you on the show today thank you thank you james and this is us signing off on another episode of the event industry news podcast stay safe everybody we'll see you on the next episode goodbye
Thank you.